I'm Catherine Beauty. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. And today. And today we have Nicole Cardoza. Yes. We could ramble on here for a number of minutes and, and talk and talk and talk, but it's not the time for you guys to hear our voices about what's happening in the world today with racial injustice. And we wanted to bring on Nicole because she's doing so much incredible work with her anti-racism daily newsletter. And she also has been in the middle of this yoga and wellness world and and seen the, the pitfalls of the wellness industry and how it's addressed racial injustice. And so I think she's the perfect voice to hear right now. Absolutely. And we will be returning to the season of authors and writers soon, but this is taking center stage and we are so honored to have her voice and to have her knowledge on the show today. Let's bring her on. Nicole Cardoza is a social entrepreneur, investor, and public speaker making wellness accessible for everyone. As the founder of both Yoga Foster, a national nonprofit that empowers educators with yoga and mindfulness for the classroom, and Reclamation Ventures, a fund that invests in high-potential, underestimated entrepreneurs making wellness more accessible, she has reinvested over $2.5 million from the wellness industry into communities that need it most. And most recently, Nicole has also put together her anti-racism daily newsletter that you can subscribe to. And also please support her work on Patreon. And you can find her under Nicole Cardoza. And Cardoza is C-A-R-D-O-Z-A. Let's bring her on. Hi, Nicole. We're so happy to have you on the show today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We have so much to talk about, but I wanted to to give our listeners a little backstory on how you and I first came together. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I feel like there's two different stories. There's Catherine's version and Nicole's, you know, like the two different sides of seeing it. It's yeah. right. It, it's, right. It's the wild world of like, you know, you're having a normal day and you open your phone and then you get a DM and you're like, what? And then, so basically what happened, it was wild. I, I was in Ireland, Ireland of Were all you places. In Ireland? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like counting sheep and then this happened. Um, so Nicole, you had, you were already did a photo shoot with Yoga Journal, the publication, the magazine, and you were going yeah. to be their upcoming cover model, their, their featured correct. teacher. And yep. so I guess for a while, I don't know how long Yoga Journal has been doing this, but they do these kind of quasi internal test marketing research, yeah, marketing unquote. research. Where I've seen them do it before, but generally speaking, what they do is say, say it's like Sean Corn, right? It'll be two different photos of Sean Corn, a, a Sean Corn in like a really advanced yoga posture or a picture of Sean Corn sitting in meditation. And it'll be one of those things where they'll be like, which one do you like more? Just because they're trying to see what's going to sell. And what happened in this situation was there was in part of this polling they used a picture of me that they had used from a previous publication up against a photo of Nicole. And it's, I I just don't even have words for it. How, how disgusting and despicable it was. Nicole, will you take, will you share with our listeners kind of from how you came, sorry, did I cut you off? No, no, no. no. Uh, How you came to understand they were doing this and 
what you, what your reaction was? Yeah, it was similar. Somebody sent me a DM with a screenshot of that that photo of us and sent me a message saying, I voted for you and I hope that you win. And I had no idea what that was about. I knew that I had, you know, signed a contract to be on the cover. I knew I had shot the cover. I knew I hadn't seen a single photo of what had, you know, of the photos I took for the cover. So here I am looking at a photo of me I've never seen before on the cover of a magazine (laughs) compared to you and something about voting. And I had no clue. So once I looked into it, I realized that, um, for whatever reason that they had decided to vote. And then uh, later on, I got an email from their editor saying that they just really wanted to make sure that the cover sold, which told me really mm-hmm. clearly that they didn't feel like the photos they had of me um, would sell. So that's how that's that's what happened on that day for, for me, or at least that's what happened the day before. And then a few days later, I took that and I posted it on my Instagram. I thought it was you know, a really necessary conversation to have around how often the industry decides like who gets to be seen, who gets to be heard, who gets to be celebrated and who gets to feel safe. Yeah. You know, when we're on our mats and we're in this practice. And not to mention the fact that the the wellness space and the yoga space is already this, you know, predominantly white female space mm-hmm. with absolutely no lack of white female yeah. representation whatsoever. Right. And, right. Well, if you guys could could take our listeners through just the aftermath of posting on Instagram and starting the conversation around yoga journal and their decision to compare the two covers because uh, sorry nicole this was also on the heels of jessamine's cover correct i think mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. that was also i think it was january it was the first cover of 2019 um, was it yeah. and it was the first time they had ever done not a double well double cover insinuate meaning that they had two different teachers on the cover. So one was Mati Ezradi, um, mm-hmm. who was my mentor who has since passed. And the other cover was Justin Stanley. And this was the first time they've broken. They've done a cover where a split cover. Uh, yeah. Yes. They exactly. did a half run of Mati and a half run of Justin, which they claimed was what they were going to do for the entire year. Yeah. And turns out they only did it for this cover with Justin. And mm-hmm. there was really, no apology for that. No, um, no acknowledgement of how they were in the wrong by doing that or how much harm they were causing by doing something like that. I just felt like there were some very empty kind of, you know, run through publicists and lawyer responses going on from that. And I think that's clear because if they, I think if they had taken accountability for that, there would, they wouldn't have made the same mistake with, with treating my cover the way that they did. Right. Exactly. And it's, you know, can, it just comes back to the, the capitalism within the wellness world and how it just, it, I don't know. I don't know if the wellness world was ever truly made for the purpose of helping people, you know, maybe at the very, very beginning it was, and then it just quickly got hijacked. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, just for our listeners who, I think because we have so many wellness listeners, they probably remember the couple weeks where this was little, a little bit of a fire within the yoga world and people calling out Yoga Journal and 
what was the end result in terms of accountability and at least noises, whether credible or not, toward making change? Like, wh- where did we stand at the end of all this? Yeah. So when I called them into the conversation on Instagram and then had email conversations with them after, we agreed that they would put me on the cover of the magazine and give me all of the profits of the magazine to invest in my fund, um, which they did. That magazine ended up being the... Um, the highest selling magazine of the year, which was great. And it yielded about $10,000 to go to the fund in total. Um, They also pledged to create uh, an advisory board of people uh, that would be there to help with this kind of stuff and to uh, hire a DEI consultants to come in and reshape how they were thinking about everything from hiring to content to you name it um, from the ground up. So, um, And up until this day, they still haven't hired diversity or equity inclusion facilitators, nor have they created an advisory board. And did they ever give you the money they promised you for your organization? They did give me the money months after, and I had to follow up for it a few times. And and then our our mutual friend, Quentin Vinny, who used to be over at Yoga Alliance, Right after this initially happened, he asked us to all come out to Yoga Alliance. And it was you and me and two higher ups, the editor in chief and um, the publisher, uh, the publisher at Yoga mm-hmm. Journal to do a podcast together to talk about this. Mm-hmm. That's when you and I met. That's when we, we finally got to meet. That which is really fun. It was a special moment. It was nice to, to give you a hug and, and not have to, yeah. you know, just like, <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, and you, people listening may have noticed that if you want to go search that podcast, you're not going to find it because they never let it see the light of day. And I I mean, I'm not afraid to just throw these companies under the bus because this is wrong and it needs to stop. And if the yoga and wellness world is ever going to make any progress, they have to stop silencing these conversations. And And beyond not silencing them, like they need to have them and host them and bring them to the forefront. Yeah. You know, I mean, look at the world that we live in right now. I think much of what we're seeing is because we exist in a system that feels really good about silencing conversations that matter. And it's indicative everywhere is an indicative in wellness. And like this, this is particularly insidious. Like we all sit around and spend our pennies to feel better about ourselves and to feel safer in our bodies. So the, there's just a particular like sickness, right? Toxicity with how we show up in this space. And so for, and obviously this is a worldwide issue. This is like you said, definitely not just within the wellness world, but because that's where we both come from. It's, I I feel like it's, very problematic within our, our little bubble as well. Like, and I know all the work that you do with Yoga Foster and the work that you do with Reclamation Ventures. What have you found for yoga studios and businesses that are striving to make themselves more inclusive for BIPOCs? What have you found has been the most productive? Like actually you're seeing change happen instead of talk. Because it seems like there's a lot of talk. That's true. But yeah. not a lot of action. Yeah, I, th- I think the biggest thing is how do you be in relationship 
like truly be in relationship with communities that are usually left out, right? Like there's a difference between talk and conversation. And I think what we're seeing is, you know, if people are paying lip service to things, which I think you and I have experienced, there's been people that have said they're going to do things. Mm -hmm. We put a lot of time and energy um, and feelings and emotions into sitting down (laughs) for that that, um, podcast with Yoga Alliance and not have it come out. Like that's talk, but that's not being in relationship. That's not like having a dialogue. And I I think that's what we, what the most successful things have, um, the most successful um, initiatives have come from deep relationship, you know, deep listening, really listening and hearing and understanding and holding space for the words and experiences that are coming out of other people that have been hurt. Um, and then putting it into action, you know, you don't have like, you know, hiring a DE and I consultant takes actually hiring them, not just talking about it. So having that person come in and being open to, you know, changing your practice and shifting how you do business to be able to, you know, address your wrongdoings, you know, because you said that like capitalism is really uh, pervasive in wellness. And I think that's true, but so is whiteness, right? Mm-hmm. And the protection of what normal looks like, who decides what normal looks like, who decides what practices look like. And there's a, there needs to be a relinquishing of control to be in relationship and give other people the same level of power in decision-making in the work that's happening. So that's a very long-winded way to answer your question, but I do think it takes more than just this, you know, talk. I'm curious, just what do you see as the differences? And by differences, I mean maybe the things the wellness world does better and maybe the things the wellness world does worse when it comes to including or having these kinds of conversations with black people versus just everyday life. So for you, Nicole, what do you see when you're walking around the world and then you step into a space that is designated as wellness or, or, or yoga? They can't be exactly the same, although obviously they must overlap to some degree. Are there things that the wellness and yoga world does better when it comes to racial justice? And are there things that it does worse? a good question. I can't say there's anything that's better. I think that... (laughs) I like how you said that. I can't say. (laughs) And because I think, like, to me, like, at the end of the day, like, there's inclusivity or there's not, right? Mm. I do, like, yes, we can talk about, like, efforts and we can talk about progress, but I don't want to celebrate things that are anything less than equity, right? And anything less than pure inclusion, You see what I'm saying? Um, And it's certainly not even close to that in the wellness industry. So we're not talking about 90%. Like it's still an F on the the (laughs) report card. Um, (laughs) um, But I do think there's some differences. I think that there is a lot of fear around causing harm because we know in this work how deep trauma is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know, we know how people grieve. We know that people suffer. And I think that the wellness people in the wellness space who are attuned to this work really do understand that. And I think sometimes, especially for white people, it can actually cause more fragility and more shame 
then it can cause progress. So I see a lot of that. I see like, I don't want to hurt. I don't want to cause pain and suffering and that I want to remove myself from the conversation instead of diving in because I'm so, I'm so fearful of those emotions um, and those sensations and those experiences. Um, when I do think these things um, move forward, I think that they're oftentimes held with care, but I, I think it detracts sometimes more than it cause, you know, brings people into relationship. And, and you okay if I jump yeah, in? Yeah. I guess from, I'm not, I'm not totally an, an outsider when it comes to wellness and yoga. Cause I guess I have the conduit of, of Catherine. You are married to me. Yes. <laughs> but <laughs> I guess my, my kind of armchair philosophy on it is that maybe because in, in Nicole, I just, I'd love to know what you think, right? Yoga and wellness seems like it's filled predominantly with white women and perhaps just inherent in that is going to be more like spiritual bypassing and more fragility and more like feeling like we've been talking about, like if you're in yoga and wellness, uh, there's like the stamp of approval that you're a good person. And then therefore like, there's no more work that needs to be done, right? Like you're part of the wellness world. Sorry. Am I, am well, I, no, I just want to I, I want to add on to that. The thing that's so ironic is the yogis in particular, we're taught every day on our yoga mat to step into our discomfort. Right. I mean, that's kind of one of the major reasons for practicing yoga. Right. Like we're told, you know, you, you learn to do a handstand because it's uncomfortable and you move through it and you fall down and you you hold warrior one for two minutes and you you sit in that discomfort and you let it burn because, you know, you can make it to the other side. And yet when you throw something like talking about Black Lives Matter or or anything that, you know, that that white supremacy stimulates, exists. Yes. Yeah. That stimulates that white fragility people just crumple. And yet right. on their yoga mat, that's what they preach all the time. And the fact that there's like this huge disparity between recognizing that you've been practicing for this. Is there any better the evidence that American yoga is purely physical than I this? Know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. oh, sorry. There's no question in there, Nicole, but more like, what, what are your thoughts on <laughs> no, that? Listen to us. We're like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm just sitting here nodding because yes, yeah, you know, and if this, you know, I think if we all really embodied the practice of yoga, then it wouldn't be a question that we're stepping into uncomfortable conversations. All of us, you know, and, and the white woman in particular, when it comes to race, don't have to right. for the most part. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a self-election. I decide to get on my mat. I decide to be in discomfort. And, you know, white women can decide, you know, I can do that on my mat because it's in my, you know, it's in my bedroom and it feels safe and it's in my body or wherever. And then you can also choose not not to have those conversations. And I think sometimes with spiritual bypassing, it's like, it's easy to tell yourself you're comfortable with discomfort if you do it on your mat, even when you're not doing it in other places mm -hmm. where it matters. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. There's, there there yeah. might not be that connection being made to both like emotional, spiritual discomfort and physical discomfort. Cause you could be a true champion of physical discomfort and tell yourself that the whole story about yourself is that you're okay right. with discomfort. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, having that, like the, you could have that emotional discomfort with your own sphere, your own bubble, right. And the experiences that you have in your own life. And I mean, I've done this too. Like I can have a lot of discomfort with just the shit that I've got going on. Mm -hmm. Right. And yet my experience as a, a person in my own brain and body is so inextricably linked to how people perceive me and how I walk through this life. And especially in conversations um, of race and what we're talking about right now, like I can't, 
can't not choose to have uncomfortable conversations. They meet me wherever I am, right? Yeah. Couldn't choose to just celebrate to be on the cover of a magazine, right? Yeah. I couldn't choose not to be in that conversation. And so, yeah, I think that I think that you can even have familiarity with emotional discomfort, but if you're never testing it where it matters, then what did that practice even do? That's so interesting because we, um, I was part of um, a movement called Share the Mic Now, mm-hmm. and Disha Dyer, who I recommend everyone looks at. Oh my up, gosh, so obsessed. She's so amazing. <laughs> Isn't she great? And she said when she was doing an Instagram Live, she made a comment, and I'm not quoting her verbatim, but she talked about how this is one of the first times that she's been in a predominantly white space where she felt like she could still own her blackness. Um, Mm. And it was, and, and she got really emotional talking about that. And, and it it sounds like that's what you're saying where it's just like, it meets you everywhere you go. And as white women, you know, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of, you know, I put, I put up something of um, a video of Sonia Renee Taylor, who's just freaking unbelievable. And, to hear the white woman coming back, there was a lot of, you know, I'm raising my children not to see color where I'm like, okay, like, I think that's what happened in the eighties. And, you know, I think of like in Vogue and be like colorblind. I'm like, that is not where we are anymore. And, th- and, and there's still these women who think like, I'm a good person cause I'm colorblind and I'm teaching people to be that way. And then there was another woman who was like cherry picking the, like, you know, the one thing out of what she said that she didn't agree with and negating the entire other seven minutes of mm-hmm. the conversation and and I, I guess I just I don't know I'm like how I understand if people are newer to this work of of being a co-conspirator of of allyship that they might not be used to like eating humble pie all the time which is yeah. what you have to get used to but like how if someone's never ate humble pie before <laughs> like how do you bring them to the table you know because they just yeah it's crazy. It's so, they're so stubborn. Yep. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs> right. Like I don't understand the, I, I am a black woman. I, I mean, I have lived my whole life in predominantly white spaces. I have become very comfortable with the discomfort of, you know, being in, in all white spaces and being one of the few. And I know that gives me a level of privilege in how I can navigate these spaces. Um, and I can offer all the tools and resources and experiences and learnings that I've got, but I really, I can't, I don't know how to tell somebody how to pay attention because I've mm-hmm. never had I've never had the option. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how to get people to that table. Like I can offer whatever I am. I have these like daily emails going out now about people in terms of racism um, and how you can like practice it every day. It's like, I can do the most that I can do, right? I can put my black body in as many spaces as possible. Um, And I mean, I still get, you know, this morning, like I still get shit where people just seem like they're not doing the work. So I don't know. What has it been like over the last 10 days watching much of the world seemingly like quote unquote, wake up to a 400 year old problem? You know, there's something, the optimism in me is like, it's really great because, you know, I really do want my grandkids to walk on this earth one day and be safer. And I know that we'll get there. And I know that happens through collective awakening. 
And um, also, I, you know, Michelle Cassandra Johnson said this on a, a conference that I was leading um, with the question, like, how many more of us have to die? And like, I just want to know what that number is. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't offer any solace by any means, but it's just like, how many more of us have to say, I can't breathe for y'all to pay attention? Like, is it, is it, is it 10? Is it 10,000? You know, how many millions of people have already lost their lives along this way? So, you know, it's, my work is a lot more popular. People are, you know, sending us money and it's like, wow, this is great that like people are recognizing this work is important. And it's also like, where have you been? Mm-hmm. And how much more, like, does it have to take this? So many Black bodies right now on the lines, um, you know, who have already died or who are exposing themselves to COVID, even though they're disproportionately impacted by it. You know, standing outside and protesting is just like, how many more? How many more? And and I know you have taken personal action with the anti-racism daily newsletter that you've created. Mm-hmm that you're putting Mm -hmm. out now, which everyone listening to this, if you want to push pause and sign up for it right now, and you can also find Nicole's work on Patreon, which I highly recommend becoming a patron, a patron of her Patreon work. (laughs) Um, Can you please tell us about the newsletter? Because it is freaking fantastic. Thank you. Uh, I think for me, it's like, you know, we see so much um, conversation, you know, when there are protests and, you know, horror, like murder and violence when people really feel like um, they're going to take action. And this is an unprecedented level of attention on this issue. And I'm also just terrified of it going away, you know, because... You know, we said earlier, it's easy to talk. It's easy to do the one thing. It's a lot more difficult to be in relationship that takes commitment and that takes continu- continuity and a practice. And ironically, too, like we, us as wellness people, like we know how to practice, mm-hmm. you know, doing things over time consistently with enthusiasm. Like that's just <laughs> that's like <laughs> Ashtanga. <laughs> right. Like yeah. that is, <laughs> that's what we're all here for. And so it's like, you know, I like, if you know if people are outraged, outraged, and they're buying the books, that's great. If you're gonna like call somebody out for being racist this week, that's great. But like we need this all the time. Like I, and I, I do not want this to die down only to come back when another one of us are dead on the street. You know. So it's like for me to create the practice. It's like I want you to commit to being in this conversation all the time. I want you to sign up every day, and I want you to be taking action every single day because that's how things change, right? Uh, Sonia Renee Taylor talks about how this system is like not just like this big, scary person hulking in the corner. It's something that we consistently build together through our collective actions all the time. It's living and breathing and growing with us. And so if we change our collective actions consistently over time with enthusiasm, we can change this system over time. Right. That's that's not a that's not a hope. That's not a dream. That's a fact. And so. My the emails for me are the way to put some of this into practice, um, you know, especially for the people who are like DMing me with the questions and, you know, <laughs> don't know what books to read and are, you know, still looking to like solve like how they feel about whiteness with a black person. It's like you just read this stuff, absorb this stuff, do this work on your own time with your peers um, and, and stay with it. And I'll keep sending the emails until there's no more racism. 
in the world. So <laughs> somebody asked me how much longer I would do that. I know. For, and I would love to wake up one day and look outside and be like, wow, oh, I can cancel this. Make this. I right. guess I I'll just cancel this MailChimp subscription. So. <laughs> oh. You, you oh. also pointed out, you know, so there's the whole concept of self-care in, in the yoga world, but you pointed out in the newsletter, you know, the concept of maintaining your mental health as you do yeah. this work. And for obviously a lot of people, this work of dismantling racism is going to bring up shame and guilt and just a, a vast yeah. range of emotions. And I guess the, and the question is, like you said, it's, it's a daily practice, it's daily work, it's daily actions, but where, you know, what's the, the line between rest and neutrality on this work? Oof, um, I, I think rest is revolutionary. That's something I've learned from the NAP ministry, um, which is an incredible organization advocating for rest, especially for black people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that we have to think about everything that we do to be pushing this work forward, including taking care of ourselves. Um, so there is rest in terms of like, I mean, recharging and, and taking care of myself and addressing my guilt and shame because that will help me show up at this work better. And then there's retreat, right? Which is like, I'm actually going to shield myself and consciously move away from this in an effort to not be a part of it, which you could say that retreat is also a form of, of, of care if you need to, especially if I think for black people and other people of color that are, you know, really getting barraged with this right now. Um, but retreating from a fight is the last thing that we need, especially for white people that have the choice to step in a little bit more. Does that make sense? No. So does, I, yeah. Yeah. I don't see rest. I think a rest is part of the work. It needs to be part of the work, but not at the expense of an excuse. And I, I think we all know the difference. I think so. I mean, I, I think it, it, you, I think for our li- for our listeners, and I would assume that I know we have like mostly female listeners, and probably a majority of them are white. But you you you've honed that internal voice through yoga or working out, right? Where you're like, do I need to move today or do I need to rest today? And right, and you you can kind of feel in your body which one of those you need, and yep. I guess needing to cultivate that too as well when it comes to addressing issues of racism as well. Like whether you're like, am I resting right now or am I running away from feeling? Right. 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 Um, I have, a, is it, a, I'm going to jump in. No, go. Um, in, in general, cause it's when it comes to white women, us, white women, us, we, um, like what in general have you observed about the behavior patterns that like keep, keep us from being better accomplices because I just over the last couple of weeks, just hearing so many different stories and reading so many different things. I'm like, what is going on specifically with white women that you've, that, you know, I don't mean for you to have to decode us, but like, what have you observed that like <laughs> keeps us from like, what is, what, why, what, anyway, that's my question. <laughs> wow. That was amazing. <laughs> It's a protection of whiteness. Honestly, it's like, you know, there's something we need to see people just like uh, uh, completely center the people that are hurt right now, the people that are hurting and have been hurt and have been wounded and have been hurting for lifetimes. And we're talking about what's happening right now. We have to center black people and black voices. And I think what we see a lot, we were probably looking at the same videos on your Renee Taylor is talking about, mm-hmm. um, I think her name was Haley. 
that, yes, that the daughter video that was, was calling out her yeah. parents. Yeah. And how Sonia Reday Taylor was making a point that like, you know, her conversation was really focused, although her conversation was great. And Sonia Renee Taylor said this, like her conversation was focused on how like whiteness was the issue or sorry, how like her parents were really looking at blackness and she was trying to stand for or, you know, stand up against like these stereotypes that are so inherent around black people. Um, and I think what Sonia Renee was trying to show and what we need to have bigger conversations about is like, we need to be really addressing whiteness yes. and how power and control and dominance um, over another people inherent, but that feels to be inherently known, right? That there's a, this inherent rightness and, assertion that white people have around situations, especially when it comes to the policing of black bodies, um, is the norm, right? Like, and that's what's causing a lot of harm. It's not black people, it's white perceptions of black people. And so when you have these conversations, what you see a lot of white women do is still go back to this idea of asserting power and dominance. So Sonia Renee Taylor is talking about what Haley could have done better to have a conversation and people in her comments were like defending her. Because right? she's a and kid, right? Right. Yes, I had that happening too. Yeah, she said so much good stuff, and she she said nothing bad about Haley, in my opinion. She she complimented Haley multiple times. She was like, "This is a great like I appreciate what she's doing." And I'm going to use this as an example to talk about what else could happen. And it's just mm-hmm. the, it's the nature of trying to cling to rightness yeah. because whiteness is inherently wrong. How it shows up is inherently wrong, right? And so, like, there is this. I think we talked about this before. It's like there's, there's, we can't have this clinging to like the C plus. Like we can say that like these things are <laughs> happening, right? And like we are not working for mediocrity here. We are not working for a society that is a little bit better, right? For Mm -hmm. one less black person to be killed. We are, and so what you see is a lot of this. Like, I, I I read a book, right? And so therefore, I do know everything. Or uh, I read what you said in your email, but another black person told me something else. It's like we are in this for the conversation, and I am not trying you know, to completely take away everything that you know, you need to be able to let go of this power and control and wielding it over other black people is the same kind of problem, even if you're not out on the streets with a gun, you know, because it's still this policing um, that, that's just consistent and happening in all different forms. So that's the biggest thing that I see a lot is like, there's a, so much defensiveness where we're trying to uh, reclaim and, and transform these systems and a clinging to what is. But that's the problem. We actually just need to redo it all. And that's going to take a lot of deep discomfort. And maybe listening and not responding is the answer. And also understanding that every Black educator is going to have a different opinion, too. And everyone's entitled to their own opinion. You right. know, like Which also goes to, yeah, this idea that like Black people are one person with it, one. Right. right. I mean, and it's... That, because it makes people easier to control, right? So yeah. there's something really inherently dangerous about that. Will you, will you define for for our listeners just this this shifting of just saying I'm an ally and I hear you know very many many different black voices saying oh what Disha was talking about yeah too. yeah just Disha was saying forward, she doesn't just want from more. an ally to accomplice and conspirator yeah. and and oh, will you kind totally. of define like the difference between just an ally and an accomplice yeah and this is how you know. I've understand it. I understand it from reading about it from a whole bunch of, you know, actual anti-racism scholars because I am not one. 
Um, it, but I know how it feels, right? Like the difference between an ally and a co-conspirator is who's actually going to be with you when your body is on the line. You know, an ally can sit and like wave a flag and show solidarity and signs of support. But like at the end of the day, like if my life is in danger, somebody's going to cause bodily harm towards me. Somebody's going to cause financial harm towards me. It's very likely that the people that texted me saying that they're in solidarity after not talking to me for six years are actually going to be around to be there for me in that moment. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And like allyship is not enough when it comes to reducing harm. And allyship is oftentimes not enough for creating change. Like we're trying to dismantle systems and rebuild new ones. And you can't really just post a black box on Instagram to do that, you know? So there's what are you talking about, Nicole? That's, like, that's huge. It's disrupting so, someone's feed. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, like people will throw around like the analogy of like, do you want the person that you can call when she, like, say you're, you're put in jail. And this is not like, not like when black people get put in jail stuff. This is more about like people thinking they drank too much, like, uh, you know, in Vegas and got put in jail overnight. Mm-hmm. So I don't even like the analogy of jail because I think it belittles the impact the criminal justice system has. However, A lot of people know the analogy of like, you have that friend who you're going to call, you know, if you were put in jail with your one phone call and you have that friend who's going to be sitting in jail with you. And they use that as the analogy, like the person Mm -hmm. that you're going to call who's on the other line is your ally. The person who's in jail with you because they were with you is your Mm -hmm. co-conspirator. I think that's an easy way, a very simple one-on-one way to look at it is like, who's actually going to be there by your side when the stakes are high? Yeah. And so I ask a lot of people who say that they're allies, and usually if people are saying that they're allies, it usually means that they're not. They just want to pretend or look like they are one. Um, But like if people are allies, it's like, are how far are you willing to go in this work? Because otherwise, you're taking up space. Yeah, right. Like the whole performative allyship. Performative allyship is like, yeah, it's not even allyship to begin with. It's just like I want to look like an allyship. You know, somebody messaged me about that recently about how they wanted they weren't sharing something quote unquote to help black people. They were sharing it so that their friends knew that they supported black people. And I'm like, that is, that's like the most basic definition. I couldn't even write it better. Um, but it, yeah, it has to be past that. Like the performative allyship doesn't do anything. And even allyship isn't enough for the work that needs to get done. Yeah. Not with what's going on. Yeah. When, you, sorry. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, when you look at just the next, just this short stretch of time that we have coming in front of us, like the next two weeks, right? Where it's been t- 10 days or so of just foot on the gas, but human nature would tell us that people will be like, you know what? We did our work now, <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. now, like the moment has passed. Like what, do these next two weeks look like in your in your mind to make sure that like the foot stays on the gas? Yeah, to me, these are some of the most pivotal times of this work because we have we've had so much conversations move from like outrage to actual reform. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing people defunding the police, seeing people create new legislation um, for um, incarceration and how we do arrests, um, how we're trying to end cash bail. Like there's so many different mm-hmm. conversations that are actually moving into systemic change um, that we need to be pushing on more. So I want to see everybody who's gotten mad and posted the black squares and bought the anti-racism books to be in conversation with local, um, with like community leaders, with um, 
other local activists in their communities figuring out what are they looking to change and abolish and how, as especially as white women, can you put your time, your energies, and your resources and the privilege that you have to navigate through spaces with very little harm caused towards you to change them? The other thing we have to remember is that we're in election season. <laughs> and no, there's no better way to dismantle our political systems than ensuring that the right people are in power. And so, you know, with the primaries have just passed, we have so much more coming down the pipe. We need to keep ourselves educated. And so, again, everyone, please, please, please check in and subscribe to the anti-racism daily newsletter that Nicole is doing. And, and Nicole, did you want to talk a little bit about the, the wellness version yeah. of this newsletter that you're going to start putting out or, or yeah. whatever it's going to turn into? Totally. So this, you know, the anti-racism daily is just like one of the first that my new media company is launching um, in terms of holding conversations around dismantling systemic oppression and whiteness. The next space that we're focusing on is wellness, um, you know, because we have so many media players um, in wellness that are also not doing the work. They're talking the talk. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that was evident a year ago with what Yoga Journal did after the harm they've caused to black people before me. And a year later, you know, they're sending me an email asking if they can use my image in an email the same day. Mm -hmm. After, in the paragraph before, describing that they still haven't done all of the work that they <laughs> promised, but they hope to get to it soon. And it's like, if you were actually willing to stand up for black people, you wouldn't be putting a picture of me in your email for Blackout Tuesday. You would have done the work. You would have hired people and had more people of power that have diverse voices. You would have hired the DEI consultant to help you facilitate that. You would have had an advisory board of individuals that would have told you, for one, that email was hella harmful and should have never been sent out to begin with, but also would have helped you do the work so that you're not just doing this performative allyship. Because that protects whiteness and that protects white supremacy. And that is act that's actively racist and harmful. You know what I'm saying? I do. So... I'm super excited um, to expand like what we're doing with ARD because I know that the people that are in our community are hungry for this kinds of conversations and that these bigger media companies, especially in wellness, are letting us down just because they, they would prefer to protect themselves than to actually do the work that serves all of us. Yeah. I'm hoping with everything that's going on right now that, I mean, the time has come. It just, I feel like at this point in history for these wellness companies in particular to continue to just be so tone deaf? Well, it's, well I, Nicole, you're so right about these next two weeks because I think a lot of these big companies, the way I've, I've seen it work in like the sports world is, of course it behooves them to put up the, the black square or whatever the equivalent is for, you know, Some even kind previous. Of solidarity. And then just, and say the right things and then just assume everyone's going to forget. Yeah. And right. just assume that you you did the you know you quote unquote said the right thing, but you won't be held accountable because everybody they can point to that and be like, oh, we posted right. something, we care. And so that's why yeah. Nicole, you're so right about these next two weeks because that will be the moment when some of these, if we're talking specifically in the wellness world, they they'll be like, oh wait, people aren't going to forget. Oh wait, right. oh wait, it's going to financially impact us if we don't back up our empty black square with actual action. But that's going to take people in the wellness world, if we're talking specifically about that, to keep their foot on the gas over the next two weeks. Because I imagine there's a lot of businesses assuming it's going to go away. Yep. So. Yep. But um, everyone can find Nicole at Nicole 
A, a Cardoza. Cardoza. Don't forget On the Instagram. A. <laughs> gotta have the A, guys. Gotta have <laughs> the A. that mistake before. You Don't forget the A. You A because you can also subscribe to the Anti-Racism Daily. And support her Patreon. Nicole, thank you so much for taking the time to come up and, and talk thank with us. So thank you so much for having me. I love you both. We love you and we really respect the work you're doing and we will be in touch with you. Sounds good. Take care. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Nicole. And that is a wrap. So again, please find Nicole Cardoza on Patreon so you can support her work and subscribe to her anti-racism daily newsletter and the soon arriving wellness edition that will be coming soon. Yeah. And I think what she said was so important about these, these next couple weeks, especially when you're looking at the wellness industry. So if you're one of our listeners and you've been posting the things on social media and, and, you know, Catherine and I have been too, and you're thinking, okay, I've done my part. Like now is the time when this is not ending anytime soon. Yeah. Pay attention, you know, and and like she said, we're in voting season. It's not only time to vote, but to hold them accountable and to find out what's happening in your local communities as well as on a national level. So rest when you need to rest, but we can all do one thing, (laughs) one thing to help bring about some change. So thanks everybody for listening. You can always find us at free cookies podcast on Instagram for free cookies podcast at gmail.com. And so much and love as always to our producer, Lindsay Collins. That's right. Of F and B radio. And we appreciate y'all. Thank you for listening and go take action. Bye.